Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 22. I, I hope, now Bishop's not old, so don't take what I'm about to say out of context. He's not as old as he likes to make you think he is. But uh, when I am at the tender age that he is, I hope I am as flexible as he is and worship-minded. Amen. Amen. Even if you didn't worship this morning, you can still say amen to that. It's all right. You're not going to get in trouble. But uh, I appreciate his example. It's one thing to have someone tell you what to do. It's another thing to have someone show you what to do. The latter is more important. I was thinking this morning as you're turning to Ephesians chapter 4, I was thinking uh, the, the first occasion this morning with which bishop that I picked up my handkerchief and wiped my brow I thought about the Johnson boys uh, their family told me a story some time ago now that how that uh, when they were smaller younger than they are now that they used to play church at home as most church kids typically are accustomed to doing and uh, sometime during their ceremonial service one of them would be playing the keyboard and they would pick up a handkerchief and Go like that. I never noticed exactly how many times I do this until she told me that. But as we were starting worship this morning and the furnace was heating up, I picked up my handkerchief and I went like that and that came to my attention, Bishop, and, and I felt a gentle, sweet spirit of the Lord say to me, if they see that, what else are they seeing? Mm. I'll just leave that with you. All right, we'll just, we'll just leave that right there. Ephesians chapter 4 and 22. We'll figure out what to do with that later maybe. says that you put off, starting with verse number 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. That means you have to change. Which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, everybody say lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, and sin not. Nowhere in God's scripture does it ever say, don't get angry. But it does say, with your anger, don't sin. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. This next verse is, is, is I, I actually think it's just a little bit comical to follow up the angry verse. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good. 
that he may have to give him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I want you, if you'll just indulge me for just a moment this morning, I want you to find a neighbor next to you today, and I want you to point your finger at them. Just, just give them a good old American finger point. And I want you to tell them, all right, we're not done. Just once you get your finger and once you get your person, just point it at them. Stay there for a little bit. You're not doing it. Come on, we're going to practice. And I want you to tell them the three fingers that's coming at back to me I'm still working on. The three fingers that's pointing back to me is what I'm still working on. What we're talking about this morning is self-evaluation. We're not pointing at anyone else. Let's lift our hands and ask God's word to touch us today. Father, we love you. We magnify you this morning. Lord, I ask you for a move of your spirit today. Lord, let the reading of your word be anointed. Overshadow us and baptize us with your presence this morning. I feel your Holy Ghost already. God, speak to us. Lord, we give you praise, we give you honor, we give you glory. Make us better Christians by your word today. Draw us closer to you in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. You may be seated this morning. That's a courtesy and not a command. I want to do some teaching this morning. And uh, I plan on getting through this, and if I don't, whatever's left over will preserve itself to another day. But I want to teach on this subject. The four phases of attitude. The four phases of attitude. Look at your neighbor this morning and say attitude. Attitude. It's something we all have. Some good. Some not so good. And some just raunchy bad. I, uh, I heard it said one time that opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one, they're all shaped differently, and they all stink. The same could be said for attitudes. It's interesting, the world that we live in today. We're living in interesting times. If you pick up a newspaper or read the news, if you watch the news, if you listen to the news, however you get your, your daily, weekly updates, you should understand by now, unless you've been on a deserted island with no contact to modern generation, that we are living in interesting times. Uh, we could, as the scripture says, say, Bishop, that we're living in perilous times. Uh, we are living, I, I grew up in the apostolic church. I, I grew up sleeping underneath church pews and falling asleep in guitar cases. And so this is, this is really just about all that I know. And I can remember as, as old as I was to remember, as, as, or as young as I was to remember, I can remember hearing people say, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. I am old enough this morning on, on the, the eve of another birthday, thank you Jesus, 
I am old enough this morning to remember in 1988, a man wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why the Lord's Coming Back in 1988. And I can remember Sister Margaret when December 31st of 1988 came around and it was 11.59 p.m. I remember being at a watch night service looking at the clock thinking, Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Here it comes. And it didn't happen. So that same old guy, he's not a prophet, because the Bible even tells us that no man knows the day nor the hour, but he, he came out, I believe, Bishop, didn't he come out the year later in 89 saying uh, there was another reason why he could come back in 89 and why he didn't come back in 88? Yeah. Right. Whatever helps him sleep at night. But I, I grew up hearing Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. I grew up witnessing certain prophetic words from the Bible revealed but never have I seen as many things as what we're seeing today we're living in interesting times the, the people of the baby boomer generation are now our elders I was hoping my, my oldest sister-in-law would be here this morning I was going to have a little fun with that one but she's not so I guess I'll pass but Millennials now outnumber the baby boomers. So it's, it's obvious this morning, just from a statistical perspective, that it's not mom and dad's world anymore. Things have changed. We are living in a different world. Just the simple act of being different is not bad, for we, the church of the living God, are called to be different. Albeit this difference is infused with challenges that were unimaginable 40, and 30, and 20, and even 10 years ago. I, uh, I, I saw a thing uh, on social media this past week. A pastor in the Indiana district, uh, several of us know him, Pastor Gobin, uh, pastors of church in Crawfordsville, Indiana, had went into a store and had went to, and it was a, it was a store that kept the restroom locked and he needed to use the restroom and he walked in and he asked for the key to the restroom and the person behind the counter said, well, are you a man or are you a woman? And he was obviously fairly infuriated by that and his response was, can you honestly stand there and tell me that you cannot tell the difference? There's another pastor in, in northern Indiana whose son is the same age as my son. They live in a very conservative suburb of Indianapolis. Went to public school all of his life up to now. And their school system just decided this year in a conservative area that they were going to completely do away with the terminology of boy, girl, young man, young woman they were inventing a new gender-neutral term by which they would refer to all of their students so that they would not influence the students on which gender they would want to be. We're living in a different world. In today's society, many people just don't 
They just don't think. We live in a slap-happy generation where people are hustling and bustling, and they don't think. They get on social media, they find the first thing they can find, they take it as gospel, and they run. Ignorance is no longer bliss. Proverbs chapter 23 and 7, the beginning verse of this statement says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The act of thinking this morning requires you to make a choice. And making a choice requires you to be responsible for your own actions. Therein lies the primary reason why many people refuse to think for themselves. Because they don't want responsibility for their actions. Bishop, I call it, I refer to this at work sometimes because all you have to do is be an employer to figure out how lazy society is. Don't believe me, just ask me. But I refer to this at work as the welfare mentality. Now, now stay with me for just a second. The U.S. welfare system was started in the 1930s during the Great Depression. U.S. government, under the direction of President Franklin D. Roosevelt, responded to the overwhelming number of families and individuals in need of aid by creating a program that would give assistance to those who had little or no income. In the recovery of the days, months, and years following the Great Depression, there is no doubt in my mind that this newly created welfare system supported and sustained many people. I have no doubt today that there are many good, honest people who are down on their luck today that still need some help, that still need some help to sustain them unto a better day. However, I also have no doubt today that in our society, there is a growing portion of people who are dishonest, lazy, indifferent, who do nothing but take advantage of a program that was meant to temporarily help them, and they make a career out of it. Disabled people need disability. Seriously. The program is good. I'm not talking about the good people. I'm talking about the ones who buy a new car and a new cell phone every month. I'm talking about the people who will stand in front of a restaurant that says hiring and hold up a, a cardboard sign that says I need food. Now I'm not running for political office this morning so I can, I can be a little forward. Because the Bible doesn't support that. Christianity does not support that. We were taught in the Old Testament after the fall of man that man would labor by the sweat of his brow. Right? So God expects us to do some things and to make some choices that are good. But what this has led to in our society is the mindset of entitlement. I don't want to work for it. But give it to me anyway. It's a lazy form of living. To fully depend on someone else whenever you can provide for you. Now those that can't provide for themselves, absolutely, undeniably, they qualify. Amen. Those are the people that need sustainability. I'm not talking about them. 
I'm talking about those who make choices that affect you. People with this mindset do everything humanly possible to avoid responsibility. I see it on the job all the time. I see it all the time. You hire someone and they are just so excited to have a job and then 60 days later they walk out before first break. Why? Because they work just long enough to reset their unemployment benefits so they can go back home and not work. Because it's an entitlement age. They want my taxes to pay for them to have what I have and I work for mine. Now, I'm, I'm going somewhere spiritual here in just a second, although I recognize this teaching today is going to be very practical. But if we are not careful, ladies and gentlemen, we will bring that entitlement spirit into the church. And we will approach God in the same way some of these people approach their government. And we will sit back lazily and indifferent, and we will say, God, I'm not going to work for it, but I want you to give it to me. I've not come to offer you anything I didn't even pick up a turtle dove on my way. I, I'm not interested in worship today. I really just don't feel like it. But God, I want you to bless me anyway. Come on. Amen. Oh, yeah. Better say God, I, I'm not going to live for you. I'll come to church. I'll enjoy worship. I'll enjoy the preaching. I'm not going to change my lifestyle. I could care less about that. But I still want you to bless me. I still want you to keep my kids safe. I still want you to give me good, good income, even though I'm not paying my tithes. But I still want you to bless me. I think my leg might come up here in just a moment. I still want you to bless me. I still want you to give me something. I'm not going to be committed to you. I'm not going to be consistent to you. I'm not even going to give you anything. But God, I want you to give it to me. Well, thank you, Jesus. I've come to tell somebody in this church this morning that your choices matter outside this building and inside this building. Whether you do or whether you don't, only you can decide, but don't expect the obligatory blessings of God if you're not going to serve him. Well, I'm already screaming. I've got to slow down. <laughs> Choices. We can have the best spirit and presence of God in this building and it mean absolutely nothing if we're not willing to recognize it. So, Brother Mason, I just don't understand why it is every time you guys get up, you talk about worship and you harp on this and you harp on that. Well, it could just be, pardon me for feeling at home this morning and being a little bit blunt. I love every one of you, but it could just be we have to continue observing it because we're not practicing it yet. Could just be. Maybe. That it's important for us. See, when I was in school, if the class was struggling, now they may not do this today because I don't think they care as much as they used to, but when I was in school, I can remember when you had a teacher that wasn't there just for the income. And when you had a teacher that wasn't just there for two months off on the summer, but they really cared about education, Brother Mike Trout, 
They really cared about getting you to understand that 2 plus 2 really does equal 4. And they, they, they spent special care and time in teaching. I can remember, Bishop, if the class wasn't getting it, the teacher was staying right there. And she's going to work on it for a while. And she's going to work it over until everybody in the class has light bulbs going off in their heads. Say, ah, I see it now. It could just be we're not going to move past some good worship teaching and preaching until we, as the body of Christ, start recognizing that he's worth it. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. I've, I've got to hurry. In a, in a blog, I'm talking about my choices is my lead into attitude because, and you'll find out later why. But in a blog titled The 100 Most Important Life Choices, the number one, the number one choice listed on the 100 most important life choices was who you spend your time with. Oh, help me, Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? <clears throat> Verse number 17 says clearly, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. This verse is about more than just dating relationships. Now, I know we hang here for a while when we're talking to unmarried folk, especially young people. And, and I agree with that. I don't disagree with that at all because it's not God's will for us to go outside the church to find a mate. I don't care how you justify it. It's not in the Word. But this verse is about more than just dating relationships. This verse is about if you spend your time with liars, pretty soon you won't recognize the truth. This verse is about if you spend your time with gossipers, you'll be telling the same stories. This verse is about if you spend your time with the self-righteous, then your own personal holiness will become your guide. Ladies and gentlemen, we need a separation in this hour. I don't want to be like the world. I don't want to look like the world. I don't want to sound like the world. I need a separation that takes me to His holiness. I, I, was, uh, I was out of town almost all week last week for work, close enough to drive back and forth at night, but it was long days. And uh, every day ended with a corporate dinner. And uh, one night, Bishop, I was sitting at the table, and one of our salesmen from, from the state of Colorado was there, and we were talking about sports and different manly things. And <clears throat> he looked, and he noticed. He said, he's been around me for a while but never said anything. He noticed it. I just kept having the waiter or waitress just fill up my water. I'd have an occasional Sprite or lemonade, but just, just keep the water coming. And, of course, his beverage choice was not water. It may have had water in the ingredient somewhere, but not much. It was mostly processed corn. And uh, so he, he, kept, he just kept drinking them. And he, he, he looked at me, and he said, 
Jerry, you don't drink, do you? I said, no, Bob, I don't. So, Brother Freddie, I kept, I kept waiting. I kept thinking. I was actually kind of hoping that the next question was going to be, why? He shocked me, Bishop. There was no why, but I'll tell you what there was. He took a long pause before he took his next sip. And then he looked at me and he said, I sure wish I could do that. I sure wish I could do that. World's not looking for you to conform. They're hoping you've got enough guts to be real. They don't care if you say yes or no. They're looking for you to be who you are. They're, they're testing. They're just waiting for the opportunity. I was with these people four out of five nights last, five days and four nights last week, over and over and over, same group, same company, same dinner habits. They're waiting on you to give in, but they're hoping somebody's going to stand true. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Woo! Somebody shout hallelujah. Number 98 on the list of the top 100 most important life choices <clears throat> was what you do when someone else has made a mistake. If I had taken a sip the other night, Bishop, my wife would have known before I got home. I can guarantee it. Somebody would have posted it on Facebook. They'd have said, 41 years old, first drink. Look at that. Why? Because everybody loves a good scoop. Especially, why do you think we have tabloids? Why do you think in a digital age when, when good newspapers are struggling that the, that the Inquirer and all that junk, that, that they're not going out of business? Because everybody wants to hear. People love a good scoop. God forbid that this attitude would creep into the heart and minds of Christians. Sometimes I fear that it has. We're just waiting on the preacher to fall. We're waiting on the preacher's wife to make a mistake. We're lying in wait in the bushes somewhere trying to pick on their children. I was a PK. I know what it's like. I couldn't do anything right growing up. And I was in a church that was a third of the size of this one. This is not a big church. Could be. Could be. I can remember an Easter or two ago, I think we was in the 140s, and I didn't, I didn't see anybody I didn't know. Well, I'll move on. But we need to get to a point where that we stop rejoicing over what we're hearing. Yes, 
there are preachers that have fallen. Yes, there are pastors that have taken other men's wives. Yes, there are Sunday school superintendents and deacons that have fallen. Yes, even in an apostolic church, yes, because any one of us who stops the fundamentals, you hear me this morning, any one of us are susceptible to the devil's ways. So how you respond to someone else's mistake says a whole lot about you. A man falls to adultery. My response is, and this is a learned response. I've learned it over the years. But my response, Bishop, is if it were not for the Lord, it could be me. Somebody hear me this morning. Holy Ghost doesn't make you immune to sin. It just helps you. It just gives you a warning signal before the tornado gets there. I still have to say no. I was walking down the street of New York City a couple of months ago. I just got there. Got there in mid-afternoon. Conference wasn't starting until the next day. Bishop, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm ready for lunch. So I check into my hotel, put my luggage up. It's a big city, and if you've ever been there, and if you love the big city, it's, it's the Mecca, it's the place to be. So I was ready to hit the square and just see the lights and the bright lights and everything. I, just, I wanted to get some lunch. So I'm walking. I'm walking down the road in a metropolis of eight-plus million people, so there's people elbow to elbow on every sidewalk. It's just, just me and myself in my own little world, and I'm just trying to look at the signs, Brother Freddie, and I'm trying to see what am I hungry for. You can tell by looking at me this morning, I lead with my gut. So I wanted some good food. I wasn't paying for it anyway. Company was, so I wanted to make sure it wasn't McDonald's. Walking down the sidewalk, minding my own business. You stop seeing a big city, you actually follow the sign that says walk or don't walk. Or you get squished like grape. You pay attention. So when the sign says walk, you get to walking because by the time you get to the other side, it's already dinging at you telling you you've got 10 seconds or less. You get to the other side. So I'm walking. I'm picking them up and I'm putting them down. I'm huffing, puffing. I'm sucking wind already because I'm too fat and I'm looking for something to eat. And I'm hungry. And all of a sudden, I look to, to my side and I, I hear somebody talking and they're on a telephone. So I can't imagine that they're talking to me. And there's this woman walking beside me and she's on the phone. But while she's on the phone, she looks at me and she says, where are you from? Well, I didn't think anything of it. I just said, I, and I don't tell people city and state when I'm out of, out of town. I just said I'm from the Midwest. <clears throat> oh, so then she goes back on her phone. I'm like, okay, that was fine. So I'm still walking. Two blocks later, two, two New York City blocks later. That's the length of two market streets, okay, just to let you know what it looks like. Two blocks later, Bishop, she says, well, what are you doing? I thought she's talking to the person on the phone. She was talking to me. 
I didn't even know how to answer it at that point. I was so caught off guard. I said, well, I'm looking, I'm looking for something to eat. And I just kept walking. Another block later, Brother Don, we're stopped at a stoplight. And I'm standing there. And she goes, puts the phone down. She says, hey, guy, how about me and you go get something to eat? conversation tone just changed <clears throat> her tone of voice just changed she had eyelashes that were about that long she, I felt like Joseph and I thought uh uh devil not happening not happening and I looked at her I said no thank you light turned green I said thank you Jesus and I just started walking couldn't help but look to my side to see if she gave up yet she went the other direction all you have to do is learn to say no that's all we've got to do stand on your own two feet quit letting everybody else tell you how to live and decide for yourself I'm going to serve the Lord oh could you give him some praise this morning So the first thing I did after that happened, before I even ate lunch, because after that happened, I didn't even know what I wanted to eat. First thing I did was I called my wife. And I said, I want you to know what just happened, and I want you to know what the res response was. And baby, I want you to know I love you. Let, 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 me, let me say it again this morning. I'm not getting very far in my notes. Choices matter. This applies to the choices we make on social media as well. And given the fact that this is such a fundamental part of our life anymore, we have to address it. You get on Facebook and you dog your spouse real good. Most gender bashing I see is coming from the woman. Most of the time. But you get on Facebook and you talk about how stubborn your husband is and how irritating it is for you. Don't be surprised when the enemy comes knocking through the form of someone else. Because you just opened the door. Now, you, you've got to have fruit Loops for brains to do something like that. And you need to be completely and totally ashamed of yourself if you do it. Because the only thing we have a right to do for our spouse is to lift them up. Encourage them. Well, I don't have anything good to say. Then don't say anything bad. My parents always taught me if you don't have anything good to say, don't say it at all. Why do you think I'm so quiet sometimes? So there's four phases. I'll at least get through an introduction here. There's four phases of attitude. And our attitude predetermines the choices we make. That's why I've spent so much time on choices up to this point. And I've, I've almost run myself out of time on choices, but I guess the Lord knows. 
But the choices you make are predetermined by the attitude you possess. And before I get into the four phases of attitude or try to rush my way through them here in just a moment, I want you to understand that your attitude is your choice. Attitudes are molded by life events. Attitudes are molded by things. And oftentimes the people who have the worst attitudes have often had some very bad circumstances. But still, as cold-hearted as this may sound this morning, still they choose that attitude. It was the psalmist David that said that he would encourage himself in the Lord. He had an attitude change that was a self-conscious decision and, and let me remind you that when David said that he was going to encourage himself in the Lord, it wasn't on a good day. It was on perhaps what was one of the worst days of his life. So the, the choices we make, if you're making bad choices, what I'm trying to tell you this morning is if you're looking over your shoulder and you say, well, that was a bad decision, or that was a bad decision, or that was a bad decision, I shouldn't have done that. If, if you have a repeat pattern established in your life of, of choices you've made that you shouldn't be making, the first thing you need to take an evaluation of is your attitude. So the four phases. The first phase of attitude is excitement. Go get you a new job. Most people, most people, I, there, there's a few in today's society that aren't this way, but most people on day one of the job, Bishop, they're happy. They're excited. Why? Because they got a paycheck coming. You, you, go, you go from making $5 an hour to $18 an hour overnight. I never did that, but you, you do it. You go from flipping burgers at McDonald's to working at Toyota. Pretty happy on day one. Mm, yeah, yeah. Pretty happy. Because you've got benefits, you've got insurance coming, you, you've got, you've got a, a bigger paycheck coming, and you start seeing, I can do this for the kids. I can, I can pay this off and I can do this and we start dreaming about all the things that we can do and all the things that are going to be different in our lifestyle versus how they are now we get pretty excited, we get pretty happy about that and, and, and that's, that's, that's awesome but with every layer of excitement there's a honeymoon period why do they call it that? they call it because in your wedding on day one, oftentimes, wow I'm married. There's a honeymoon period. And then all of a sudden, if you're not careful, and I'm not quoting this from my own book of rules, so don't, don't, don't laugh at me or my wife because this isn't me. But then, but then all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you're, you're fighting over hanging clothes on the, on the clothes hanger the opposite direction. Or you're fighting because there's a little bit of milk left in the jug. Or you're fighting because somebody forgot to put, forgot and put an empty milk jug in the fridge. I have done that before. But it was an accident. It's the little things. You're fighting because he snores. And you're smacking him in the head with a pillow in the middle of the night and he's getting mad because he just got whacked. Honeymoon period. 
Honeymoon period's different for some people. But statistically, they say if you can make it past the first year, you can do it if you want to. But then it goes back to your choices. And those choices that you're making within your marriage also come back to your attitude. Do you see how it's a cyclical event? Over and over and over again. But there's an excitement phase in our attitude where everything is great. Then, there's a reality phase. Somebody say amen. amen. Reality phase usually occurs in four to six months of the excitement phase. And within the reality phase, there are several derivatives. There are several things that happen, like tributaries off of a main river. There are several things that happen in the reality phase. The first thing is shock. <gasps> This job's not as good as I thought it was. <laughs> then there's denial. Well, the problem's not me. How, how could the problem be me? It, it's, it's them. Then there's fear. Oh, I, I don't want to lose my job. Then there's anger. Anger can actually be the key to your success if it's handled right. Then there's justification. Now, let's bring that to the church. <clears throat> I've seen a countless number of people that come to the church, <clears throat> excuse me, and they're excited. Everything's great. <clears throat> they love everything about it. Then whenever they get to where that they're common folk and we stop recognizing them every service as being a guest, reality starts setting in. They get a little shock because they start seeing that we're all human and that we're all really just saved by grace. They go into a little bit of denial that whatever problem it is they have with the church is it's not them. It can't be me. And my favorite piece of this is the justification piece because that is a fundamental part of bad attitudes whenever you start justifying everything you're doing is right. Well, the reason why I said that reason doesn't matter. Well, the reason why I skipped out on church for six weeks is because Bishop... Bishop just, he just made me mad. Well, let's replay that script on Judgment Day. Shall we? And let's play that script as though you're standing before the Lord Himself. And He says, uh, before He says, uh, enter in or depart, and He asks you to make an account for your whereabouts. And why weren't you consistent? You think God really cares about this? Absolutely, I think God really cares about this. Because the book of Hebrews says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So God does care about our coming together to collectively and corporately worship. He does care about that. And He does bless faithfulness and consistency. So... You're standing before the Most High and He asks you to give an account for why you were not faithful to Him. 
well, Lord. You see, Bishop, Bishop just made me mad. So? I'm, I'm role-playing here in case you didn't catch it. You will give an account to God for you. This man and this man and this man and this man will give an account to God for ourselves and what we have preached unto you if it be right or if it be wrong. So that's a heavy burden we have to bear. We accept that. But that does not exempt you. You see, whenever I stand before the Most High, I'm standing before Him before, for Mason, I'm standing before Him for my family, and I'm standing before Him for the words that I have spoken. But I am not standing before Him for you. There's no Bible that supports that I will. I will stand before Him for what I've preached and taught. But I will not be standing in your place. I'm not Christ. I don't care what church you go to or where you visit or what name they put on the door. There is not a man in shoe leather that can stand between you and Almighty God except Jesus Christ. I will not be standing in your place. God will not be asking me why you did or why you didn't. He will be asking you. So you cannot justify your way out of a discussion with God on judgment day. So we need to stop trying to justify our way out of a position with God today. Mm. I'll tell you how powerful justification is. On May the 7th, 1931, the most sensational manhunt New York City had ever known came to its final climax. After weeks of searching for a man who became known as Two Guns Crowley, he was at large, trapped in his girlfriend's apartment on West End Avenue. 150 police officers. This is 1931. 150 police officers laid siege to the top floor hideaway. Chopped holes in the roof. They tried to smoke him out. He was the cop killer. At the age of 20 years old, he had accounted for more than 100 cold-blooded deaths. And he didn't even start killing until he was 18. Always carried two guns. When they caught him, they found a note. Because they, they, they had made contact with the gun. They had actually shot him. They didn't kill him with the bullets, but he was bleeding. And they found a note that said, Under my coat is a weary heart, but a kind one. One that would do nobody any harm. Man's killed a hundred people in cold blood. In one such event, he was sitting in his car next to Central Park. He was necking with his girlfriend who was a 16-year-old. A cop comes up to the car, didn't even know it was two guns Crowley, and said, I need to see some identification. So right straight through the window, he pulls two guns out, blasts the cop away, turns back around, starts necking his girlfriend again. 
But yet this is the guy that leaves a note that says, I have a kind heart and one that would do nobody any harm. How is that possible? That's possible through the power of justification. Because he had justified the reason he killed each person. In his mind, he thought he was doing society a greater good. That's the same mindset that Hitler had. Hitler was convinced he was doing good. Hitler never once admittedly stated that he was doing a bad thing and he enjoyed being evil. In his evilness, he thought he was doing good. That is the danger of, just, of self-justification. You say, well, well Brother Mason, I, I would never be like Hitler and I would certainly never be like Two Guns Crowley. Why? Why not? What separates you to make you better than them? I'm, I'm just trying to provoke you to thinking this morning. What is it that makes us think that we are any better than the Ted Bundys of the world? Without God, there is nothing to separate us because the only thing that makes us different than them is a relationship with Jesus Christ. When he was taken to the death chair, he didn't say, this is what I get for killing people. He said, this is what I get for defending myself? Now, this is 1931. Not one time did he ever see himself as the bad person. He saw himself as the victim. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a victim mentality generation. If you don't believe it, just pick up the newspaper or watch the news. We are living in a victim mentality generation. Anytime, and, and, and I don't want to get cross-haired on political things here this morning, but anytime you can have a policeman approach someone in modern-day generation, and you, he can ask for identification, and that person refuse identification and begin to run and have the police use police authority, and then the person is the victim? We're living in a victim mentality generation. And we need to be very careful of this mindset because when it creeps its way into the church, what you end up getting is people that don't want to live by any standard of living. People that don't want to follow rules. Oh, well, well Bishop, you've got rules to be on your platform? Yes, I do. Okay, I'll follow them. Here they are. And then they don't follow them. And you say, I'm sorry. You can't be on the platform. Well, why not? Because I've got rules. And you've seen them in writing and you agreed to them. But we live in a victim mentality generation that says, give me what I want. I don't want to work for it. We need to be careful not to let that spirit come into the church. Self-justification is dangerous business. I'm hastening to a close. The next derivative of reality is acceptance. 
we begin accepting what, where we're at. We accept it. We no, we no longer fight it. We're no longer even trying to justify it. I just accept it completely. And at that point, I start with the third phase of attitude, and it's looking. Let me tell you what will get you looking to other doctrines, what will get you looking to other churches, what will get you looking for other things is lack of contentment. And lack of contentment comes with an, a spirit that is absent of God. Because the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. You can't have true contentment without God. Listen to me this morning. You cannot be content in life once you have known God and walk away from Him. Sister Margaret, every backslider I know, 100%, every backslider I know that has ever been baptized in Jesus' name received the gift of the Holy Ghost and walked away. They are the most discontented people on the face of planet Earth. And for everyone it's different. But there's nothing out there to satisfy them. But they're always looking. It's, it's a new couch this weekend. It's new carpet next weekend. It's new vanity. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But it's painstakingly obvious that what they're looking for is happiness. The only true happiness and peace you'll ever find is in this building. It's in this presence. No, it's not literally just in this physical structure. But it's in the body of Christ. It's the only place you'll find peace that will sustain you when you don't have a paycheck. When you don't have an income, when you don't have health insurance, when you don't have health. I'm pretty sure I know what my thorn in the flesh is. And I have to just put up with it. And I've put up with it for the last two weeks, off and on. And I thought, this is great. Every time I'm supposed to teach or preach, I have an onslaught of dizziness and, and, and spells that come up on me, and I've just got to put up with it. But let me tell you what I'm determined not to do. I, am I may wake up in the morning spinning like there's no other tomorrow, but let me tell you in the name of Jesus today that I intend not to give up just because something's not right. Can be dizzy here just as well as I can be at home. And if I can function, if I can get to a place where I can function, I may have to hug the walls, I may have to hold my wife's elbow, I may have to do something like that that's just a tad bit dramatic, but I refuse to quit. God didn't save me to give up on me. Every one of you in this building this morning have things that you fight. You have things that come against you. And there are times that staying home is unavoidable. But let me tell you, this is Mason chapter, chapter 5 verse 2. Let me tell you how I am with my life. I'm going to put forth enough effort that whenever I can't do it, it's undeniable. I know I have a responsibility as a leader to live above reproach. So just because the room spins a little bit, I'm not going to stay at home. Whenever it gets undeniable, yeah, I might be there. I might be on the couch flat on my back occasionally. But whenever I am, I'm not going to leave you any room to question it. 
So why, why are you saying all that? I, I, I'm saying all that for this. Too many times when things aren't going right in life, we start getting the wandering eyes syndrome. Because it has to be everybody else's fault but mine. We get mad because the Sunday school teacher gets on to our children. We are living in a society, and I, I, I'm sorry to keep harping on this, but we are living in a society that wants to take authority and bury it. And if we let that come into the church, then God forbid we'll never listen to the salvation message. If we ever develop the mindset that there's no authority in my life. Because salvation says you're lost. But you can be found. To accept the fact that I'm lost, I need to submit myself to an authority figure. Romans through Jude in the Bible. Romans through Jude are all written to teach the church how to live. You've got four gospels that account for the life and times of Jesus Christ. You've got a book called Acts that, that reveals to us how to be saved. There is no other book. Now, there are several books that coincide with the book of Acts prophetically. But there is no other book that details the plan of salvation the way the book of Acts does. So you cannot be saved by avoiding the book of Acts. But God didn't stop there. He equipped us with how to live. Watch. Romans through Jude. He dedicated every one of those books to teaching us how to live. Every book is based on a different theme. It covers speech. It covers holiness. It covers attitude. It covers co overall conduct. It even tells you who to watch. Let the aged women be sober. Why? Because we want our young women to have someone to model after. We don't model after the world. We should have people in the church to model after. Start looking. Look at, look at. Stand with me. I'm done. I'm stopping right here. The last step in attitude is recommitment. What happens is we take our attitude through these phases and we start recommitting to things that we just found. And all of a sudden, Bishop, everything that I had a problem with at FAC, I'll find me another church somewhere and I'll embrace it. Why? Because I'm recommitting myself to something, but I'm in the excitement phase right now, so I'm going to recommit to it. And you give it another six months, they'll be away from that church. My, my, my own dad used to affectionately call people like that grasshoppers. Because they would jump from one church to the other. Never finding peace, never finding satisfaction. Why? Because it was always everybody else's problem. Root cause, they had an attitude problem. 
There's four phases to our attitude. And there is a way. I, I'm, I'm out of time this morning. I want to respect your lunch time. But there is a way to maintain a good attitude. And I'll just stop short of going through the details this morning and just tell you that choices matter. I close with this statement. And Bishop's going to come and we'll, we'll do whatever he tells us to do. I, I close with this statement this morning. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I want to articulate this with sincerity and, and perhaps not the way that I envision it sounds like in my head. But I, I want you to understand today that if there's something that you don't like right now, and I'm talking to all home church people here this morning, but if there's something that you don't like, you don't like the worship, you don't like the music, you don't like the preaching, you don't like this, you don't like this, let me challenge you this morning. Just, just accept a challenge. Matter of fact, I just double dog dare you to accept a challenge today. I want you to take 30 days and pray about it. And say, in 30 days, with sincerity, say, God, if I'm wrong, just let this feeling go away. 30 days. Instead of looking elsewhere, instead of saying, well, you know what, Brother Mason, I just don't think I can live this. It's time for me to move on. Before you move on, take 30 days. And, and I don't care if it's just a 30-second prayer every day. This is not a big challenge. Just, just every day, just say, God, I, I've got a problem with this. I mean, it's okay to go ahead and tell him because he already knows. All right, so it's, it's okay to say, God, I've got a problem with holiness. He already knows that. But just go ahead and tell him, God, I'm having a problem with this. And, 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 and I really just think I just need to move on. What do you think about that? And if at the end of 30 days that's how you feel, come and let's talk about it. But I, I, I think I could feel safe in, in saying at the end of 30 days... If you're really honest with God and you keep coming to church and, and, and you, you keep praying that prayer every day, somewhere truth's going to be revealed to you. Because choices matter. And our attitude is a direct res response of our choices. Yeah, if you would just lift your hands just for a moment this morning and just call out to God as Bishop comes. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.